A new report exclusive to Cranes shows your property's share of local government debt. And with full control of Tribune Publishing, Alden Global Capital is now going to have to get a return on its $600 million investment. For private equity people that come in and you know make these investments in newspapers, it's really hard for them to see the value of the newsroom employee as a revenue generator. Reporter Ali Moradi joins me to talk about what form that could take. But that's what's sort of interesting about Tribune Publishing is that you know, as recently as 2018, the main revenue stream was from advertising. That has flipped and the pandemic pushed it even farther, you know, towards the subscription side of things. I'm Amy Guth and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Tuesday, June 8th. In these uncertain times, it's important to have people you trust by your side. When 11,000 local business owners needed a Paycheck Protection Program loan, they turned to their Wintrust banker to secure funding because that's a relationship they can count on. Businesses are navigating some of the biggest challenges they will ever face. Wintrust is here to answer their calls. They'll answer yours too. Start the conversation at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. I'm joined by Cranes reporter Ali Moradi here to talk about the latest in the saga of Alden Global Capital and Tribune. So now that Alden has full control of Tribune Publishing, they're going to have to find a way to get a return on that $600 million investment. What is the latest that you know? Yeah, so it's a bit of a race for them. Their their main tactic, as we've known about Alden from the beginning and as they confirmed, but days after they closed on the acquisition of Tribune Publishing, is that they cut personnel, right? And it makes sense from a financial perspective because compensation is one of their biggest expenses. Um, and you can see even since they came in and became the company's largest shareholder in 2019, how they did cut those expenses, right? But, you know, the company has declining revenues and has really al- almost every year since it, you know, was formed into its current form back in 2013. So what they got to do is cut expenses fast enough that they're able to pull some money out before the subscriber base notices that there is a decline in the quality of the product and unsubscribes. Because the other kind of factor in this, the key factor is that the main revenue stream for the company is subscriptions and the circulation revenue. So it's kind of a little bit of kind of staying a step ahead game that they have to play here. Like I mentioned before, they've already offered buyouts to the company, the Chicago Tribune included in that. And so we're kind of watching that play out. And then the other big question that comes later is, you know, what's next? What are they going to cut next? Two big things to be watching. Absolutely. Do you have a sense of how the buyout structure is going to work? I feel like Tribune's already gone through several rounds of buyout offers. So what will, how will this one be different? Yeah, for sure. So I think it's interesting to note the context first and foremost. I'll look specifically at the Chicago Tribune newsroom. Since late 2019, there have been two rounds of buyouts already, as well as leadership restructuring, um, as well as, you know, a lot of attrition that occurred throughout the course of the pandemic. There were also furloughs that happened last summer. So that's kind of the scene in that newsroom. And by the way, their newsroom has been moved out of downtown into the printing facility. So there's not a lot of people that are even going in. So, so with that scene in mind, you know, these buyouts were offered and typically buyouts in newsrooms have kind of seniority caps. You have to work there a certain number of years. I think the previous couple buyouts, it was eight years. So you see a lot of veteran people leaving, but in this one, there is no cap. It's just full-time employees of the newsroom, editorial employees that are allowed to take it. 
So we don't know if there's a, a cap on how many people Alden wants to take it, if they have kind of a threshold. Um, they do reserve the right to not accept it everybody that applies. So, you know, if a bunch of people from the same section applies, they don't have to let them all take it. But, you know, I've heard a lot of reporters saying that they think that it's a pretty good deal. If you have worked there three years, you get a lump sum of 12 weeks of pay. The insurance coverage, I think, was a sticking point. The union has negotiated some different terms for their um, union represented employees. And but still, they weren't able to negotiate anything different with the insurance coverage, which ends at the end of the month. And then COBRA would have to come in, uh, which can be very expensive. So, you know, we'll see. I don't know how many people are going to take it. I've heard some rumors, but we'll just kind of have to wait and see. The union members will be a little bit later. Um, everybody that's not in the union, their last day will be the 18th. And then the union members will be the 25th. But still, that's coming up. That's, that's pretty soon. Fast. Yeah, it's very fast. And then what about non-editorial employees? Are there cuts being made there? So there's definitely being extended to the design production studio. Um, we're seeing that as well, which they design not just the Tribune, but you know papers throughout the company here in Chicago. They design that. Um, I have not heard anything or been able to confirm that anybody on the business side has been offered the buyout. And I, typically they're not in the past that I know of, but I was looking through some filings last week and saw that you know, there are actually a lot more editorial employees within the company than um, people on the business side. And that was something that I was talking to an expert about. And they were sort of saying like, you know, for private equity people that come in and, you know, make these investments in newspapers, it's really hard for them to see the value of the newsroom employee as a revenue generator. Because on that business side, there are people bringing in ad revenue, etc. But that's what's sort of interesting about Tribune Publishing is that, you know, as recently as 2018, the main revenue stream was from advertising. But that has flipped and the pandemic pushed it even farther, you know, towards the subscription side of things. So that's where kind of that, that game, that really delicate balancing act comes in that Alden is facing right now, because it's, if you're going to cut newsroom employees, you know, obviously the, the reporters that are there are going to keep working very hard, even harder than they were previously. But there's just no way you can cover a city of, you know, nine and a half million people with fewer people in the newsroom. So the quality of the product could potentially decline. And it's just a matter of making sure that the subscribers continue to subscribe and keep that revenue coming in. Now, there are some other places that Alden could cut to, to, you know, be able to derive a profit from the company. Potentially, they could pull, you know, reduce the number of days a paper comes out because, you know, the newsprint and distribution is kind of a big expense for them as well. But we haven't seen them do that in any papers in the company yet. They could also potentially sell off some of the newspapers, which is something we saw kind of bubbling up as a possibility throughout the past few months as other buyers showed that they were interested in buying the company. You know, there was a hotel magnate, Stuart Bainham, who kind of mounted a bid against Alden, ultimately fell through. But through the course of that bid, he brought in some investors and shareholders in the company that were interested in buying certain papers. So Alden hasn't said anything. They haven't put any papers up for sale. We don't know for sure that that's going to happen, but it is a, you know, a possibility. Especially because before this, uh, we saw some of the other Tribune papers kind of being courted, as we've talked about before in the podcast. So in particular, the Baltimore Sun, there was, a, I think, a, a very big plan for a nonprofit to come in and, yeah. and, and take them on. So I think that part will be interesting to see what happens to the other papers in the Tribune portfolio. 
And that, you know, poses its own difficulties, right? Because everything's so centralized. Like I mentioned, all the papers are designed here, um, but there's a lot of like other backend stuff that goes on. So peeling one paper out from that could prove a little bit challenging, um, but you just would need the right investor that's interested in doing that and making the right investments to make that possible. And then, so what's the, what's the end game for Alden here? So that's kind of the big question, right? With most private equity firms, when they come in and make an investment, they, you know, will invest in the company. Maybe it's distressed, maybe they build it up to where it needs to go and then it exits, right? That's either typically through an initial public offering or, you know, they'll sell it to somebody else. Occasionally they break off bits and pieces of it and put it together with other investments that they already have in their portfolio. The experts that I spoke with for this story that I did, um, they're just not quite sure what Alden's endgame is because if they're going to take away the quality of the product, they're, you know, these experts said, I just don't know who would buy it, right? So it's going to be interesting to see for sure. A couple of Alden's other investments have actually ended in bankruptcy. One of them was Payless Shoe Source. You know, which is a well-known example that recently declared bankruptcy. So it'll be really interesting to see. You know, it's we can't even really look at their previous investments in newspapers. Alden owns a bunch of other newspapers. Um, the Denver Post is one of them. You know, the San Jose Mercury News is another. And we've seen them do drastic personnel cuts there. You know, at, at um, 12 papers they have, they cut the unionized staff by 76%, which is pretty, you know, sobering statistic when you think about that. But they still own those companies, you know, they haven't exited them in any way. So I think we'll learn they've owned them since 2013, which is a pretty long investment for a private equity firm to have. So we'll kind of see and learn more about Alden's strategy as we watch this all unfold here. Yeah, indeed we will. And we will keep turning to you for the latest. Thanks so much, Ellie. Yeah, for sure. Coming up, the former Uber CEO's ghost kitchen company is embroiled in a Northside NIMBY fight. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Here's a great way to stay in touch with Crane's Daily Gist. Subscribe to the Crane's Morning 10. It's our daily newsletter featuring the 10 biggest stories of the day. To subscribe, visit chicagobusiness.com slash morning 10. You're listening to Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. A new report provided exclusively to Cranes by Cook County Treasurer Maria Pappas provides the first ever breakdown of government debt in Cook County by individual property. In other words, it allocates the total debt owed by municipalities to individual properties based on their share of the overall property tax burden. For Willis Tower, for example, the share of debt is $289 million, or 41.5% of the downtown landmark's market value of just under $700 million. That according to the Treasurer's analysis. For River Oaks Shopping Center in Calumet City, valued at roughly $26 million, the attributed share is roughly $10 million, or 38% of its value. In South Suburban Riverdale, a house worth just under $67,000 has an attributed local government debt share of just below $32,000 equal to 48% of the home's value. And it's important to note that each property isn't necessarily obligated to repay the total debt attributed to it. Municipal governments use a range of revenue sources to repay borrowings, but local governments primarily rely on property taxes to cover a lot of costs. General obligation bonds and pension contributions, for example, are covered almost exclusively by property taxes. The analysis combines all debts, including borrowings for infrastructure projects, ongoing expensive and unfunded pension and other post-employment obligations for government workers. You can find the report and more reporting about the report from A.D. Quigg at Cranes.
A group of private equity firms reached an agreement to buy medical supply company Medline Industries in what would be one of the biggest leveraged buyouts of all time. The group, including Blackstone Group, Carlyle Group, and Hellman and & Friedman, will take a majority stake in Medline. Singapore's GIC will also invest as part of the partnership, the consortium said in a statement on Saturday. The transaction is reportedly valued at more than $30 billion, and the deal is worth as much as $34 billion, including debt, and would include a $17 billion so-called equity check. That according to people familiar with the matter who spoke to Bloomberg. Based in Northfield, Medline is the biggest private U.S. manufacturer and distributor of medical supplies to hospitals and doctor's offices, supplies like medical gloves, face masks, gowns, and exam tables. The company also ranks number five on Crane's latest list of the largest privately held companies in the Chicago area, with 2020 revenue of $17.5 billion. It employs 4,800 workers locally and worldwide about 27,000. Chicago Fire owner Joe Mansueto aims to develop a space for the soccer team in the belmont Cragen neighborhood in a plan that would centralize the team's operations at the facility and provide an economic benefit for the northwest side. The club will present plans for the 32-acre complex on the 5500 block of West Fullerton Avenue to community members. That according to an announcement by the city's Department of Planning and Development. The project, which a source familiar with the plans told Cranes would cost an estimated 85 to 90 million would redevelop the Chicago Public Schools-owned Hanson Park property along Central Avenue between Grand and Fullerton into new training grounds for the MLS team and its affiliated youth teams with seven soccer fields and a three-story, 90,000-square-foot performance center. That according to a fire presentation posted on the city's website. Danny Ecker is reporting the story in detail at chicagobusiness.com. What stands out about this plan more than anything is the location. This is a professional sports franchise saying it wants to put its front office and primary training facility in a neighborhood on the northwest side of the city in an area that not only doesn't normally get this level of investment, but is also adjacent to areas of the city that have seen decades of disinvestment. So it stands to be a landmark deal from an economic standpoint. And for the fire, it's in line with Joe Mansueto's goal of helping the team connect better with fans around the city. Obviously, the team took a big step in that direction by amending its lease to play in Bridgeview and moving home games to Soldier Field. Now he wants to invest in what would surely be a state-of-the-art training facility for the club along the lines of what other MLS clubs have today. And by the way, this isn't Mansueto's first big investment in a Chicago neighborhood that doesn't get a lot of it typically. He's also behind a big plan to redevelop a cluster of former warehouses in Humboldt Park into offices. So he's single-handedly making some pretty impactful moves in areas that most real estate investors have historically shied away from. Ghost or cloud kitchens aren't physical restaurants. Instead, they only offer delivery from a centralized location. And they've become increasingly more popular as restaurants have become increasingly more reliant on technology and delivery services during the pandemic. So in a fight involving a lot of big names, an escalating feud has broken out on Chicago's north side over the future of one such ghost kitchen at 4131 North Rockwell. It's called Cloud Kitchen, a privately held firm headed by Travis Kalanick, a San Francisco billionaire who co-founded and was the former CEO of Uber. He and startup tenants are on one side of the debate. Working on their behalf is the public affairs company owned by former Illinois Deputy Governor Brad Tusk. On the other side of the debate, though, is the local alderman, Matt Martin 
Martin of the 47th Ward, who recently filed two ordinances that impose restrictions the firm says threaten its very existence. Also active in community opposition is Pat Burns, who lives down the block and is the husband of former Illinois Attorney General Lisa Madigan, who says she's not involved. Both sides have totally different stories about what's really going on in the feud, though. According to Deidre Sudler, Director of Sales and Operations for the five cloud kitchens operating in Chicago, Alderman Martin, at the behest of, quote, a small group of wealthy constituents, including the Madigan household, is trying to, quote, destroy a new business model that is particularly open to small businesses and people of color. Alderman Martin broke off negotiations on possible further changes and instead introduced proposed legislation that, among other things, would prevent any group kitchen from locating within 500 feet of a residence something that would ban businesses like this in most of the city. Martin, in turn, says it's actually Cloud Kitchen that broke off talks and says Sudler herself had admitted that 5,000 to 7,000 cars a week could pull up to the facility to grab food, even though Sudler denies that. Martin also charges that there have been altercations over double parking, illegal use of residents' driveways, and other disruption caused by delivery drivers in a hurry. In any case, Martin's proposed legislation has been sent to committee for a hearing. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who has opposed some bills like this as an improper aldermanic prerogative, has not yet weighed in on the dispute. And that's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Our continuous news feed lives at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest reporter, Ali Marathi. Be sure to subscribe to these conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your audio on demand. And be sure to find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And let's continue talking there about these and other business stories. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.